this is The Bittersweet Life. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. I'm Katie Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and I moved to Rome for just a year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. That adventure might inspire you to do something crazy, like quit your stable job and move to Rome for just one year. And my co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and author of Midnight in the Piazza. And she's also an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in the sixth grade. I hope you like the show, and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. And if you've listened to the show for years, consider a donation. Your financial support is huge to us. In fact, I can't think of a donation to anywhere that would be more appreciated than what it will be to us. We'll send you a handwritten thank you note. And in addition to helping us pay hosting fees and other bills, your support will help us grow the show, which is absolutely the key to this program continuing in the years to come. So if you love it, if we make your life a little better, please pay whatever you can to support the art that you enjoy. Visit thebittersweetlife.net on your desktop and click the donate button. Or tweet us at bittersweetpod and we'll send you a link. Thank you so much. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we are celebrating travel angels. That is the people who help you out, the strangers often who help you out when you're traveling in a way that is so remarkable that you'd never forget. We've talked about doing this show forever. So now that it's the new year, we're actually going to do it. Great. And our hope, actually, Tiffany, was that when your mom was in town visiting for the Christmas holiday, that she would record her amazing travel angel story. But what happened? I know. She's a little bit shy. She hates the sound of her voice on tape. Mm -hmm. I tried to convince her, but she was not willing. But she told me the story. She told me the story right after it happened because it hasn't been that long. Okay. I remember pretty much. I don't remember all the details, but I can tell you her story. And I have a few stories of my own. But it was her story that she told me shortly after she returned from a recent trip that gave me the idea to do this show. Okay. I, I mean, I'm sure other people use the term travel angels, but I had never really used that term in my mind before. But when she was telling me her story, that is the term that just came into my mind, that there are these people in the world who come into your life for these brief moments, you know, to my mind, they're people that you don't know. I mean, it could be someone that you know, but usually it's someone that you've never met before. And they come into your life when you need help and you are in in this kind of desperate situation and they don't ask for anything in return. They just save you. They kind of really just save you. So it's not people who say pay for your coffee without you knowing. I mean, those people are wonderful, but I'm really talking about people who get you out of a difficult situation. And when you're traveling, as I'm sure you know, you can get into situations 
that you would not get into in your home city. Unless you're traveling where you know people, you know, you don't have anybody there in that city that can help you. You don't know the city. You are very vulnerable when you're traveling. And you may not even speak the language. You very likely don't speak the language. You don't know how things work. Things can get dire. Now, I'm not talking about life or death situations, although I'm sure that there are people who've been in life or death situations and have had travel angels help them out in those situations. But sometimes it feels like a life or death situation, even though it isn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it feels so desperate, especially if you don't have an excessive amount of money. If you have tons of money, you can kind of deal. But I know in my situation, it would have been major, major problems financially if I hadn't had these people help me out. And even in my mom's case, you know, my mom is, you know, she's pretty comfortable, but it would have been a huge disaster if she hadn't had this person to help her. So as you're listening to this show, if a story pops into your head of somebody who helped you or of somebody that you helped, feel free to send it to us either by email or by voice memo to bittersweetlife at mail.com. Because as you were talking about that, I thought, Derek's got a really good story about this, but I would hate to try to tell it. So maybe we'll have to do a follow-up show. Okay. All right. So tell us what happened to your mother, for goodness sake. So my mother was in Scandinavia on a cruise. She and her husband, my stepfather, they travel a lot, but they're also older. They're in their mid-70s. So, you know, they aren't the fastest. They aren't the savviest travelers. They're, They're like in the middle of the road, let's say. You know, when you go on a cruise, if you go off of the ship and you're not on a official ship-organized tour, they will not wait for you to get back. If you miss the ship, you miss the ship, and you are SOL, basically. Is it SOL? Yes. Yeah, SOL. (laughs) Um, I think that's the expression. I'm trying to be cool. (laughs) So they stopped in Copenhagen, and my mother had not prepared for the weather she thought that summertime, it's going to be warm and she wear all summer clothes, not realizing that in Scandinavia, it's really cold, even in the summer sometimes. So she basically had to go shopping. They get off of the ship, they go into the center of town and they start shopping. And you know how it is when you shop. Sometimes you can lose track of time and they realize, okay, you know, look, it's getting late. We need to get back. But they would have had plenty of time. But what happened was there was some kind of a parade going on that day. They got into a taxi and the taxi driver could not get through the parade. And he was trying everything that he could do to get them to their ship. He went around, he went up, he went down. They couldn't get through. There was just no way. So he stopped his car, left his cab, and he took them on foot to the ship. You know, it was a long walk. It was like a half an hour walk, something like that. He just absolutely bent over backwards. He did not have to do it. There's no way that they would have made the ship. And they didn't have their passports. Their passports were on the boat. Ooh. And my stepfather is a pretty low-key person. My mom tends to stress out a little bit. He's a little more cool-headed. She said that she had never seen him so stressed out and so terrified in her entire life. And she thinks that they both like lost several years off of their life that day. She (laughs) said it was the most stressful thing that has ever happened during a trip. And it might not sound that stressful to you sitting at home, but I think being stranded in a foreign city without any documents, 
all of their clothes, all of their things. How would they have ever caught up with this ship? I mean, it would have been a total nightmare and disaster, and it would have ruined their whole trip. I think it was also near the beginning of the trip. This cab driver absolutely was their travel angel. Yeah, he saved the day. He saved them. And yeah, so that's my mom's travel angel story. But I think we got an an email or a a text from a listener. Is that right? Yes, we did. I will do my best to read it. I have edited it for time. This is from Keith. He says, I was near the end of a five-week backpacking trip through Europe, and I had taken an impromptu excursion to Budapest, Hungary. This was in 1988. The final years of the Cold War and travel restrictions to travel in Eastern Europe were just beginning to loosen. The trip was great and fairly uneventful, and I thought I had given myself enough time to get back. What I didn't realize was that an easing of travel restrictions didn't mean all aspects of transportation in and out of the Iron Curtain countries would run smoothly. When my train stopped at the border of Austria and Hungary, what I thought would be a short check of travel documents became a half hour, then an hour, then a two hour delay. While I waited, I struck up a conversation with the other passengers in the compartment. They explained that the majority of the train crew turned over at the border where they swapped out the Hungarian crew members for Austrian ones. With the long delay, I got to know my cabin mates more than I would have otherwise. One was a woman from Yugoslavia with her husband from Guinea in West Africa. While their countries had shared favorable travel and trade with the Eastern Bloc countries for years, it was still rare for Americans, particularly black ones like me, to be on the train. It was similarly rare to see mixed-race couples in East Europe, so there was a mutual curiosity, and we had time to kill. When the train finally started again, there was very little chance of me making my connecting train. As I said, this was the late 80s, so in addition to it being the Soviet era, there was no internet or cell phones or GPS. What I had was a printed train schedule. (laughs) Looking at it, I was going to miss the train at the station we were coming into. But there was one last train departing from a different station, all the way across Vienna. My new friends suggested that I take a taxi across town to catch that train. But there was one problem. This was also pre-EU and pre-Euro. This was also (laughs) pre-ATM. So to get local currency, you had to clear customs and change money at each border in Europe at the bank or at the American Express office during daytime hours. So in short... I was stuck. This was when my new friends moved into the angel realm. They looked at one another and nodded, taking out a wallet. They handed me 400 Austrian shillings, about $30 at the time, just as our train was pulling into the station. Run, they both said. The taxis are just outside at the foot of the stairs. I was speechless, and then they both said in unison again, go, run, (laughs) and I did, and in the end, I made my train. But at the end of it all, I didn't even remember their names. But I did remember one thing. During the long layover, they taught me a few phrases in Serbo-Croatian, the language of Yugoslavia. The one I remember to this day was the last thing I was able to say to them as I ran to catch my train. Hwala, meaning thank you. Oh, that is a wonderful story. Isn't it so cute? Yeah, yeah, that is is really great. Oh, I I was totally like picturing it. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Keith. Is that Keith Cook? Yep, Keith Cook from Seattle and former guest of this show, actually. Way back in the early days. I think he was around the 30s, episode 30 something. Oh, that is right. Back in the early, early times. I had forgotten that. That's great. That's kind of 
a little bit similar to my story, actually. I have two stories, and that has bits of both of them in it. Okay. Both of my <laughs> travel angel stories took place on the same trip, mm. very near each other, within days of each other. I was in Southeast Asia. I had been traveling with a friend, and then we had sort of gone separate ways, and I was now traveling on my own. And I was in Singapore, and I wanted to get to Sumatra because I wanted to go scuba diving. I wanted a place that was nearby, cheap to get to, cheap to stay in, where I could do some scuba diving that was really going to be spectacular. And so I had found this place, this tiny, tiny, tiny little island off the coast of Sumatra. But I was flying on a low-cost airline, and pretty much all of the flights go through Kuala Lumpur. So I had taken an overnight train down from Kuala Lumpur to Singapore, and it had been very inexpensive. I went to the train station to buy my ticket back up to Kuala Lumpur, where I was going to be able to then catch my flight to Sumatra, and the price was literally 10 times what it had been. Exact same route, just the other way. I hadn't budgeted for this. The woman says, well, it's because you're leaving from Singapore. What you need to do is you need to take a bus just to the other side, just across the causeway, across the water, to the very tip of Malaysia, and there, get the train back up. It'll be cheap. Great. This is what I'm going to do. I get the bus full of like 95% commuters, Malaysians who work in Singapore, but who live in Malaysia. And I'm sitting next to a young man, a young Malaysian guy. It's pouring rain, by the way, a torrential downpour. And the bus takes off, but of course, because of the rain, it gets stuck in traffic. I knew that my train left at whatever X time. It was like 11 p.m. or something because it was an overnight train. And I also knew that, of course, that was the last train. The overnight train is always going to be the last train of the night. In Singapore, the border checkpoint is in the middle of the bridge, in the middle of the water. And the bus stops. And people start getting off of the bus. And I'd been talking to this guy. I'd been like, oh my God, I'm going to be late. What am I going to do? And he's like, you should probably get off. I'm like, where's everybody going? And he's like, well, they're walking across the bridge because they know that the traffic is going to take too long. So they're just going to walk across the bridge and go through customs and then get a bus on the other side. He's like, here, I'll go with you. We get to the border checkpoint I didn't even know that I had to fill out a form. I wasn't prepared, you know. I didn't have a pen. He gives me a pen. He tells me what to fill out. He tells me which line to stand in. He waits for me because, of course, the, like, the line for the natives is always going to be faster. So I get through. He leads me to like the bus to get on. I get on the bus on the other side, stressing out, stressing out, stressing out. I finally get there to the stop. Luckily, he was getting off at the same stop. Well, where do I go now? I didn't realize that the train station was not at the bus station. You know, I just kind of assumed it would be at the same place. He's like, no, 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 you have to walk. He's like, okay, I'll take you. (laughs) And he walks me to the train station and he's like, okay, here we are. And I was like, please let me pay you something. You like just gave me this huge, amazing service. Can I give you something? And he's like, no, 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 absolutely not. Absolutely not. And he refused to take anything. And I made the train. Did you give him a hug? I honestly, I can't remember. I might, I may have, but I don't remember if I did or not, but I'll never forget that guy. He was a huge, huge angel for me, but the story doesn't end there (laughs) because I, I made the train and let me tell you, it's a really comfortable train. You have your own bathroom with a shower and a TV in your room, in your compartment. I had a share, but it was amazing. If you ever take that train, it's awesome. 
I get to Kuala Lumpur. It's like the morning of the day of my flight. My flight's like at three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, great. I've got plenty of time. I left my bags at the train station in a locker. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go to this place I know that has laptops that you can sort of just use and go on the internet. They have really good fries. <laughs> so I go to this place. I'm like totally thinking I am such a like savvy traveler. Here I am. I'm just relaxing. And I go on the website of this dive school that I had found in this tiny little island off the coast of Sumatra. And I see this banner on their website, big red thing that says, attention, if you are flying into Banda Aceh, which is the name of the town in Sumatra that's very close to this island. If you're flying into Banda Aceh, you need to be aware that that airport does not offer visa on arrival. You need to get your visa in advance. Oh my God, what am I going to do? The only other country that I'd ever had to get a visa for was India. And it took three months to get my Indian visa. Oh, I'm totally screwed. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, what do I have to do? Do I have to go to the Indonesian consulate? Do I need to go to the Malaysian consulate? Do I need to go to the American? Like, I couldn't figure it out. Finally, I figured I needed to go to the Indonesian consulate, take a cab over there. Luckily, they're very, very fast, but not quite fast enough. So I'm sitting basically in the consulate, and I notice that there's this couple. Well, I thought they were a couple. Turns out they're brother and sister, but I thought they were a couple. They're sitting not far from me, middle-aged, man and woman, uh, Australian. I can hear from their accents. I had definitely noticed them. They had noticed me, but we did not really speak. I go in, I give them all my paperwork. Great, no problem. We can have your visa by today. It'll be ready by 5 p.m. I'm like, no, 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 my flight's at three. <laughs> please, please. Can I pay extra? Like that was my way of trying to bribe them. No, no, we, it, this is what it costs and this is when it's going to be ready. My low-cost airline, of course, only has one flight a day to Banda Aceh, so I had to end up staying in Malaysia an extra night. So the next day, I show up for my flight, and this Australian couple happens to be on my flight, and they actually happen to be sitting next to me. And so, of course, we sit down, we start a conversation, like, what are you doing going to Banda Aceh? Because it's just like this random place that most people don't go. And in fact, it was, it was totally destroyed by the tsunami, completely devastated by the tsunami. I didn't know this. This brother and sister start telling me the story. And he has a house there. He's a surfer. He's a passionate surfer. He spends all this time in Indonesia to surf. And he tells me the story how that area had been completely devastated by civil war for decades before the tsunami. And you couldn't even go there because it was so dangerous. But after the tsunami, like the civil war just ended because... <laughs> So many people died and there was so much devastation. You know, I tell him, oh, yes, I'm going to this dive school in Palauwe. He says, oh, but, but the ferry, the last ferry, you're going to miss it. You're not going to be able to get out of there until the next day, until tomorrow. You have got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. It turns out that that town had like literally one hotel in it. And because that same town was a site of some very important international organization or UN organization, the hotel was ridiculously expensive. Like you would think Indonesia's cheap, but this hotel was just absolutely outrageous. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he's like, just come stay with us. I have a little house right on the beach. My sister's here visiting and why don't you just come and stay with us? 
And so I did. <laughs> These people just welcomed me into their home. He ordered this amazing Indonesian food, offered me dinner at his house, took me for a walk on the beach and showed me like some of the places that had been totally devastated and told me about his story because he was actually there during the tsunami and survived. And the next day he drove me to the ferry and he gave me money. This man that I had never met before who put me up in his house for the night gave me money for the ferry and for no reason other than just human kindness helped me out in such a huge way. I will never forget it because I would have been such a disaster. Both cases would have been a huge disaster if it hadn't been for those two people. Yeah. So what do you take from that in your day-to-day life? Anything? Well, I don't know if I take anything from it in my day-to-day life, but I definitely, when you're in a situation where there's a traveler who needs your help, we should always go out of our way to help people, to pay it forward, to put it in a corny way, but it really is true. When you're in that situation, you're so vulnerable. And when it's your hometown, sometimes you just, you know, it's easy to sort of be like, well, whatever, and just go about your own business. But for those people, it means everything to them. Uh, And I know that for having been in that situation. If I ever find myself in that situation, I will definitely go above and beyond if it is in my power to do so. Yeah. I could see how even in your hometown, you wouldn't even necessarily notice those people. Well, the the thing is, I have worked in tourism, as you know. Yes. So I have come into contact with a lot of tourists. And I have occasionally been in situations where I have been able to help people, not maybe in such a dramatic way. Because when you go on a trip, for most people, it's a big investment. I mean, it's a lot of money. It's a sacrifice. And it's something that maybe you've been looking forward to for years. It's a real shame when bad things happen. It ruins it for you. It can ruin it for you. So always be on the lookout for for poor, distressed tourists. (laughs) (laughs) In your own hometown. Yeah. That's a good takeaway. And if you have a good story about somebody giving you a hand or you giving somebody else a hand, if you are indeed that Australian brother and sister who helped Tiffany out, feel free to get in touch with us and and let us know your story. Social media or bittersweetlife at mail.com. You don't have any stories like this, Katie. It's hard to it's hard to believe. Well, I mean, I'm sure I do. I know that people have helped me out all along the way in many of my travels. But the only story that really stands out to me as completely remarkable was when I used to travel to Vietnam with my dad all the time. He had become aware of a young woman who had some sort of cancer or heart problem or something that he had met and the family had asked him if there was anything that he could do to help. Now, of course, my dad, not being a medical expert or anything like that, had no idea what he could do to help. But he did leave that trip talking to people about it, talking about her condition, talking about services that would be in place in Vietnam that might help somebody like that. And as he was asking people about it, he kept encountering the same name all the time. People would say, oh, you need to talk to Dr. So-and-so or Dr. So-and-so is involved with a clinic who helps people like that. Or, And that name kept coming about. But as much as they tried to call and friends of his advocated to reach this guy, they could never get a hold of him. They couldn't find him. One of those things you just start to give up after a while. So on the next trip when we went to Vietnam, we were getting located in our seats. My dad, when we travel, has a tendency to talk to people a lot more than he does when he's at home. Jokes with the airline staff. He talks to other passengers. And so he just started chatting up the 
guy that was sitting next to him on the plane and lo and behold that guy ended up being dr so-and-so the missing man the man that we had been trying to find it's incredible all this time so that was sort of a remarkable it wasn't really a travel angel story but it was what are the odds you know it was was like how is it even possible that this man that's a synchronicity story in my mind yeah it fits more the synchronicity show for sure now, that man never did end up really knowing what to do to help in this particular circumstance. Sometimes the person that you think is the right person isn't actually the right person. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he can point you in the right direction. But So it was a synchronicity story, and it was a, I can't believe it, it's Dr. So-and-so on the plane. <laughs> but in the end, Dr. So-and-so didn't actually end up helping that situation very much. But it was an amazing coincidence. Have you ever been a travel angel for someone else? Mm, not that I can remember. No, I don't know. I, I mean, it stands to reason that it's possible that you gave a person a piece of advice that at the time, this is the other thing too about travel angels that's kind of interesting is at the time, these people helping you may not have been that big of a deal. It might have just been, oh, sure. You know, like anybody, uh, the other day I was standing on the subway platform at the airport and some guy said, well, which one do I take? Do I go take this one to downtown San Francisco or that one to downtown San Francisco? And I said, you need to take this one or you need to get off at this stop to get to where he was going now for me whatever you know i knew where he was going but for him who knows how desperate he was feeling in his head to know what to do and not being able to sort it out so i think it does stand to reason that you could be a travel angel and not even realize that it was a big deal for somebody too that's true yeah that's very true I can't remember a time when I spent hours getting a person to <laughs> where they needed to go. Or taking someone into your home yeah. that you'd never met. <laughs> yeah. And I don't remember ever giving somebody 30 bucks. But, you know, here's to that coming up. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> Maybe in the future. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'm feeling all like warm and fuzzy now. I know. And luckily it's late there, so you can just get in your pajamas. Oh, I'm already in my pajamas, Katie. Tiffany's in Rome, and it's what, (laughs) coming up on 11 o'clock? Yep. Is that right? Yep. You can get all cozy in your pajamas, cuddle into your fluffy sheets, and dream of all the travel angels out there in the world that are helping people right now. Yes. Yes. If you do have stories, we love these stories. They warm our hearts. So please send them, whether you encountered a travel angel or whether you were that travel angel for someone else. We want to hear your stories. Yes. You can find us on social media. Just look for the Bittersweet Life podcast. Email us either through our website, thebittersweetlife.net or at bittersweetlife at mail.com. And we like voice memos too. So until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for listening and for telling a friend about the show. And thank you for your support financially. We can't wait to write you a handwritten thank you note to show you how much it means to us. You are spreading the word and supporting the show financially directly affects whether or not this program continues. So if you love it, support it. Find a donate link at thebittersweetlife.net or in our show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.